You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. And belly and up to the nine foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. This is Socks in the Basement, all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. You might have heard the ad right at the beginning of the show. Now is the time to jump in there and schedule service for the moment that the ground is going to thaw, when they can get back to work on any issues that are going on in your basement, when they can get out there and they can clean out your gutters in the spring. If you have work that you've been thinking about getting done, take your time now. Get that free estimate. Talk with our folks over at Family Waterproofing Solutions. And remember, if you mention Saks in the Basement, you get money off 24-7, 365. They are available at 708-330-4466 or go to FamilyDry.com. My friend, this Friday's show is expected to be a big one as another $1,000 guest bounty guest is scheduled. And this one's huge. And it's it's so big, Ed, that I'm worried that it won't happen. Like, I, it took me two weeks to set this up. It made me, I was surprised that this person was able to get this person on the show. I had to go through several intermediaries, and now all of a sudden I have this person. Layers upon layers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, this has been a process. And it's done now. It's supposed to happen. Uh, Jordan Lazowski from Saxon 35th is actually bumped up this week because we knew we were only going to be able to do this for the, the back end show at the back end of the week. So, don't miss it, but like until the phone rings here in the studio and we're recording, I'm nervous. I, I think that will give you an idea of the caliber of guests that is supposed to be coming on. So I'm excited about it. Right. I'm pumped. Right. It, it, well, it's, it's extremely exciting and, and I'm looking forward to it, but I'm with you. I'm right there with you. Yeah. But I also do not have the jitters, shakes, and general weariness that comes with being on a uh well, you weren't binge drinking to, for the sake of binge drinking. You were doing it with a purpose. This actually got solved when I was in between one dis- distillery and another. I was on the uh, Kentucky uh, Bourbon Trail. Quite a thing to be on uh, in Louisville and the surrounding area for several days with my old friends from college. At one point, inside of uh, Bullet Bourbon, and I want to send a shout out to this uh, wonderful uh, husband and wife that bumped into me wearing my Saks in the Basement shirt. We visited. They were very excited. They were like, how did the guy who does Saks in the Basement end up in our tasting? So I found Saks in the Basement listeners while in Shelbyville, Kentucky, you know, and then my friends are like, there's no way we're going to be able to deal with them for the rest of the day now. No. But we went from spot to spot. And I'll tell you right now, I don't want to talk just distilling and the, the bourbon trail. But if you, you were ever going to go on the bourbon trail, I would highly recommend Peerless Distilling. The owner is clearly a billionaire. It was all started by like his grandfather who owned like, you know, 30 banks or something like that. Like he started all these, he was like a big time rich guy and then decided to start a distillery. And his father is the guy that stood next to General Patton and actually has George S. Patton's gun from World War II. This guy still owns it. And his best buddy is, uh, is Wurtz. That's right. Rocky Wurtz and this guy, they hang out. Okay. Yeah. And they, they spend money together. Well, as you do when you're when you're wealthy, you spend money with people. He was he was so interesting, but this guy is like uber rich, and he does the tour. 
Really? He's the guy doing the the actual tour. It's not like he had a tour guy, but he was like, I'm going to go down and just hang out with the people today. So we got to meet the guy that owned the entire thing and listen to stories from him for like 45 minutes. And they, they might have all been bull. I have no idea. He was very convincing to me. I looked him up and it was like, no, he seems like this is a real guy who's like, you know, he just decided he was going to go spend a Saturday like giving tours and ran into my group. And I guess he does it from time to time. So if you're going to go do the distilling tour, put Peerless on there for sure. I thought that one was awesome. Uh, Evan Williams has a speakeasy that you can do an experience where you go into a speakeasy which was really cool. And you get a good amount of samples at Evan Williams. Evan Williams gave out more free booze than four places combined. Like do their tour, go hang out in the gift shop and just point at bottles and say, I wonder what that tastes like. And they'll give it to you. Like you can spend a couple hours in Evan Williams and never have to go anywhere else. They just give the booze away in that place. Okay. Well, it sounds like you can spend a couple hours at Evan Williams and need to be picked up and taken somewhere else. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and then the one that I was just shocked about how bad it was, was Angel's Envy. Oh, really? They, I, they are under construction, but they also barely gave out anything in their samples. It was the least amount of uh, liquor that was handed to you. Uh, I think it was like half a shot is what I basically got. Um, and the, the tour was, it was lame. Like we stood in one room, they pointed at a few things and it's like, they hustled you right out of there. I did not enjoy that at all. I, it was the, that's eh, disappointing. It was the one where I sat there and said, I was looking forward to this place. And then I did the tour and I was like, and now I'm going to go back on my show and tell people it was terrible. Cause it was, it was just absolutely awful. Sorry if there's an angels MV fan that's out there, but uh, skip it on the bourbon trail. But we had a great time, ran around uh, in Kentucky and I have been in pain now for several days. I didn't even move on Sunday. <laughs> As as one would expect, it's no. it's, uh, it's worth every bit of it, though, right? Sunday was uh, get on a plane and uh, apologize to somebody an hour later because it's a it's a short flight whose uh, shoulder I I laid on because I was so tired. You know, when you wake up on a stranger's shoulder on a plane, that's what I did. Oh, drooling on myself. Wow. <laughs> you know, I was I was gonna say that it's just you know again we're we're not in our twenties and and you got to expect some. Some extra recovery time and don't feel bad about it. But if you're drooling on the guy next to you. I didn't drool on him. It was just on me. It was just just on the the corner of my mouth. I checked. uh, I looked. I made sure. Yeah. Where where does drool come from? It doesn't actually come from a hole in your chin. Of course, it was the corner of your mouth. (laughs) Do you think the guy really peed his pants? No, that's all you. I didn't do that. I I don't think I did. I didn't do that. I I, I think I avoided that. I did notice, though, that Brandon Finnegan is now part of the organization on a minor league contract. Yeah. And I like that move. I like the move. I like the fact that Rick's still signing a lot of minor league pitchers, which is good. I mean, that's, that's you know, get the depth going. But, um, but yeah, Finnegan does stand out, doesn't he? You know, you know what I like about him is, I mean, here's a guy. He comes through the Royals organization, if I'm not mistaken. He gets drafted 17th overall by the Kansas City Royals in 2014. So he's got the pedigree. He's got the people believed he was going to be good. And then at 21 years old, he's already in the majors. And he, he only pitches seven games in relief. And then in Kansas City the next year, he pitches in 14 games. And if you look at his stats when he first comes up, this guy was talented. Very much so, yeah. He had a walks and hits per innings pitched anywhere between a 1.0 to a 1.19. And then he ends up in Cincinnati. And this is where they start trying to convert him into being a starter. Six games, four starts, a whip of 1.22. So he's effective. And then in 2016, he actually starts 31 games for the Reds at 23 years old. And even though he goes 10 and 11, 
His ERA is at a 3.98, and his whip is just outside that range where I always say I want all my guys at 1.30 or less, but he could be a fifth starter. 1.36 for the whip that yeah. year. It's, not, it's respectable. It's respectable stuff. His FIP kind of indicated that, you know, he was a little lucky. That yes. he, he would have given up more if it weren't for his defense. But that's his first full season pitching. He's 23. Yeah. With no no time in the minors, by the way, either. He spent a little bit of time in AAA uh, in 2015 and a little bit at A and Double A before making the debut in 2014. But that's his professional career. He's a he's a guy that comes up right away. So he doesn't. This isn't a guy who spent 10 years working on his craft. He's 23, learning on the job, and he's putting up those stats. It's good. Right now, here's the unfortunate thing. He starts off poorly in the next year, and they basically give up on him. The Reds. They might have quit on right. him too soon. And that's the thing. I'm looking at a guy who didn't get very much time with that organization for the next two years at the major league level, and they may have given up on him. And now the White Sox have brought this guy in, and this is the kind of guy that has shown I was a first-round draft pick, and then I went out and did well. And what's the worst that he did in his, his only full season as a starting pitcher? He had a 1.36 whip and about a 500 win-loss and an ERA under four. And he was young. And then he struggled. Sometimes guys struggle. I look at this guy, he's like, hey, like this is an arm that I expect to see at some point during the year in 2022. And I think Rick Hahn, as long as the pro scouting, and that's what you're always depending on is pro scouting. If pro scouting looked at this and said, this guy right here, we can do this. Or Ethan Katz is like, I see it right here. This is This is fixable. This is your diamond in the rough. All of a sudden, he's up here, and you're like, where did this guy come from? Well, and if he's going to be a reliever for the Sox, he's another left-hander out of the bullpen, so he can help out with the Aaron Bummer situation where he's our primary and kind of sole reliable lefty. So if he if he has that ability just to come in and be the other left-handed presence out of the bullpen, that's a huge thing. If the Sox are going to be able to stretch him out – and make him into a starter, if they've identified something, if Ethan Katz has seen something in this guy, the way he saw something in Carlos Rodon, who had the arm talent but never the consistency, although Rodon's had a better career to this point, if that's what they're talking about, well then this is a guy that could compete come spring training for that spot that nobody wants to see Dallas Keuchel still occupying at the number five spot. Right, And he's a guy that now has some experience, so you're not quite as worried about him as you would be with Michael Kopech, the only problem with Finnegan is, is that he hasn't pitched a lot of innings in the past couple of years. He was a reliever last year at Cincinnati's AAA club, 40 games, only one start, 55 innings. So I think he's coming in as a reliever, and I think it's something that is going to be you know, incredibly useful, potentially, to the White Sox. Depends on, of course, how he performs. He's got to come in and do it. But if he shows up in spring training and, do, and, and is able to recapture what he was when, at the start of his career... That's a great pickup. Socks in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. 
So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Now, on the last episode, you may have heard Ed talk about Gavin Sheets. In fact, he said, do not discount Gavin Sheets. Do not assume He's just a platoon player. Do not say that uh, Gavin Sheets couldn't be the everyday right fielder. And then Jordan Lazowski from Sox on 35th must have heard that and said, I'm going to write an entire article pointing out that maybe Ed needs to pump his brakes a little bit. Jordan, how are you? Oh, doing good. Can't complain. Certainly not as good as you after the weekend you had. But... Oh, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I tried to drink all the bourbon. Give me the give me the basic overview, even though I want people to check it out on Sox on 35th. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think the conversation has become... Um, and this is a question that I even got when I just basically said, Hey, I've got some writer's block. I want to hear your ideas. What would you like to see? And a lot of people talk about, you know, what does Gavin Sheets role look like heading into next year? Do you trust him in right field? And you've seen a lot of people put him in their right field of the DH plans, um, start the year. And basically the gist of the article is there's not enough based on what we've seen to be sure about the offensive production we'll get next year from Sheets. And on top of that, one thing we did learn is he's not an incredibly good right fielder defensively. So when you put those two things together, it's still worth making sure that, hey, might be a nice piece, might be someone you bring off the bench or you have as a platoon guy at DH, but uh, I think we need to pump the brakes a little bit in terms of Gavin Sheets' role for next year, at least until we get a bigger sample size. During this rebuild, there's been times where we've seen a guy for about a month. And we've gotten very, very excited about them. Is it the pedigree? Is that why we can get excited over one good month of Luis Robert uh, last year and uh, the one bad month and say, I think he's more of the good month because I felt like that's what people thought. But you see Gavin Sheets and he was doing it down the stretch as there were teams who were trying to get into the postseason while this team was relying upon him to go up and get big hits. He made some good contact up at the plate, did some big things. And at one point, what was he? I think he was, wasn't he the only offense we had in game four. So, I mean, to me, there should be some reason for optimism for Gavin Sheets. What's the difference with him? Yeah, I mean, one of the big things is pedigree. As unfair as it kind of is to him. Um, you know, when Luis Robert struggles, you're on Moncada struggles, it's you know, what we've seen it in the minor leagues and we've heard about the tools. And again, that's maybe a little bit unfair to Sheets, who was a second round draft pick himself. He's not coming out of nowhere necessarily, but even in the minors, you saw him struggle for a little bit to develop that power and come into himself with a big left-handed hitting power threat. Like that's who he has to be. And we haven't seen it a ton yet. We've seen it in spurts. Absolutely. It becomes a floor versus ceiling argument. And then there's always the, underlying factor of he, he would only play against based on what we've seen right-handed pitching. So is it enough of a combination there? Can you get enough of a rhythm? Can you continue to produce consistently to keep your bat in the lineup? And, and there are positives to sheets. Don't get me wrong. There's, he has a great plate approach and he falls along that line of players who, you know, when they struggle can still put up good at bats. At the same time, you don't want this to turn into a long-term, long-term stretch sort of slump, if that makes sense. Well, I guess to me, I, I look at him, and the one thing that sticks out to me that's very positive is that he has this attitude of, oh, you don't think I can do this? Then I'm going to do it. 
first base is blocked, and now you got Andrew Vaughn. Uh, teach me how to play the outfield. Like he's he's a determined guy. You know, a lot of guys talk about it, and they never come through on that stuff. He got himself to the major leagues last year, so that's why I think I have a little bit of hope for him. I, I'm with you on the idea that I wouldn't pencil him in in right field, but I do think that he's a part of the team if they don't end up including him in some sort of trade package, building off of those at-bats that he got at the end of the year because they have to go out and get something else for their team. There's a lot of teams around the league who look at a guy like Gavin Sheets and say, hey, I can work with that. I can I can play with that in my lineup. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the White Sox thing will come out there and said, hey, maybe a pitcher with one or one year control left. Let's say... Uh, Chris Bassett type player. Hey, let's dangle sheets out there and maybe some other complimentary pieces and, and see what happens. He, he's a very, in, in terms of his makeup, a, a very attractive player to teams. And then that includes the White Sox, who don't have your prototypical left handed power bat off the bench. You trade him, that becomes Zach Collins' role if he makes a team. And we're not sure how that should work out either. So he has a role on the team. I, I think the cautionary tale is don't give him more of a role than you necessarily need to right away and, and let him ease into it because that's how you end up with the Daniel Polka type player who took the league by storm and maybe they weren't the exact same player but fizzled out when you tried to put him in a role that maybe he wasn't best suited for. Is it Michael Conforto or bust when, when the lockout is over? Yeah. Because I love him so much, it's kind of in my attitude all off season. Um, but at the same time, I think if and, and it would suck to have to pivot and say, do do you start to look at a guy like Nick Castellanos, perhaps? Because maybe you shuffle things around enough to make him the everyday DH, and now you trade sheets and a Michael Conforto-less White Sox lineup changes a lot more than just the right field situation. If you go get another big name like Castellanos, even though I'm not a huge fan of that, let's just say you do that. Now you've got way too many players who do the same exact thing. So now you've got to trade either Vaughn or Jimenez or even Sheets at that point. You're going to have to sort of mix and match. There's too many guys who do the same thing. Explain for fans that might not understand it because I've seen it before in, in comments and, and people have reached out to the show uh, the difference between Conforto and Castellanos. Because every time I bring up Conforto, somebody goes, well, did everybody forget about Nick Castellanos? Why can't we just go get him? And you you touched on it a little bit there, that there is a difference between these two guys and what you're going to get. Yeah, so with Castellanos, let's just start defensively. Castellanos is far worse in the outfield than Conforto. Conforto's average, Castellanos is far, far below average. That wouldn't necessarily matter if Eli Jimenez wasn't lining up in left field. But because of that, let's just say the White Sox signed Castellanos. You now have a lineup that has Andrew Vaughn, Jose Abreu, Nick Castellanos, Eloy Jimenez. And they all kind of do the exact same thing. And one of the things a lot of fans have pointed out about the current White Sox lineup without a big right-handed bat being added is that there's too many guys who do the exact same thing in the lineup. Is it is it plate approach for for Conforto? He does something differently when he uh, is he, he takes the ball uh, to the opposite field more, or he he just has a better way of adjusting, or he hits certain pitchers differently than these other guys. It's a willingness to work counts, work at bats, take walks, and I think I, I know fans get really upset over the idea of walks being incredibly valuable, 
it helps to balance out. I look at it from this perspective. When you're struggling as a hitter to get hit, because every hitter does that at some point during the season, are you able to find value in additional ways? Being able to still work counts, have good at-bats, and take walks when you're not hitting is a way to provide value to the team consistently. That's why those types of players are important to have in a lineup. Read Jordan's article at SoxOn35th.com. That's also where I learned about Brandon Finnegan, a couple of free agent uh, uh, international signings that were picked up recently in the last week or so. I get all that information at SoxOn35th.com, and you can also listen to Sox in the Basement there. Thanks a lot, Jordan. Thanks so much, Chris. Enjoy your day. Located in Westchester, Illinois, a brand new location for TT's Fine Dining. Uh, TT's actually started years ago in Evergreen Park. Now they have a brand new location in Westchester at 11055 Roosevelt Road. Experience the art of food, Thai, Vietnamese, and French cuisine. Uh, things that I I look at, uh, it's beautiful, first of all. The, the artist presentation, in fact, you can go to ttsrestaurant.com and actually get a look at all the dishes that they make and it's incredible. But then when you, you, you know, you sink your, your teeth into it, when, when you, when you grab a fork and you, you go to town on there, uh, this is, this is some good food. All right. And it's definitely a spot. If you're going to take out somebody for a special night, you know, a lot of people are looking for something romantic, even as the holidays approach TT's restaurant spelled T H I T H I restaurant.com. That is the location for you to take them, uh, check them out. Tell them that we sent you over there from socks in the basement and, and enjoy the incredible cuisine. You can learn more at TT's restaurant.com. So, you know, we were looking at all that, uh, fantasy baseball stuff last week Yeah, and how white Sox players were being evaluated. And I had a thought and I was flipping through my fantasy baseball website because I'm a fantasy baseball freak. And that's probably why I win every year. But yes. I, I was flipping through our Dynasty League. They were talking about second base prospects. Prospects, that guys that are in the minors right now, but they're the next wave of players that we should be looking at as far as who's going to produce at the position. Right. And I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking to myself, is there anybody on this list, if we think outside the box with the White Sox in second base, that I would like to have added to this team? Because even if they go out and they get a guy who they've got a year or two of control of who's a veteran second baseman, I want them to continue to add to their middle infield. Because you had a long time with Nick Madrigal that you no longer have anymore. And I, and I thought to myself, if all else fails, is there a player out there with a team or in an organization that might be willing to give that player up that could even start this year? Now, I would not normally entertain these crackpot theories, but we're in the middle of a lockout, and so this is this is what I've got. Well, I, I wouldn't call it crackpot. I mean, you're talking about spinning Nick Madrigal, that trade where you sent him away, spinning it back to the point where you're, you're trying to bring it around where you have a long-term young player at the position to replace the long-term young player that you gave up from the position. So I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily. The question is, though, what are you going to be willing to give up? And who's out there that has those players that would take something that the White Sox have? Because they just don't have... Rick Hahn doesn't have a whole lot of uh, nerf to load in the blaster, so to speak. Right. So then what I was thinking is, it could be Kimbrel, or it could be something else. But I feel like the White Sox might match up in a deal with the New York Yankees. 
Well, I can tell you, I can tell you who the Yankees could use. Well, who could they use? The aforementioned Gavin Sheets. That, that's a guy right there. The Yankees might be interested in a guy like that. They have a guy by the name of Oswaldo Cabrera, 23 years old on opening day. Spent his time last year in AA and AAA. His, his minor league stats last year between both of those locations, I just want to break them down for you. Hit 272 over 467 at-bats. Hit 29 home runs. Stole 21 bases at an 863 OPS. Uh, he strikes out. I mean, he had 127 strikeouts. He only walked 41 times. I guess that would be the only concern. But I want to read what they said about him. And this is how I kind of stumbled upon his name. Cabrera bulked up during the 2020 shutdown because he had nowhere to play. And whatever he worked on, his exit velocities and his power production has exploded since returning to baseball after the year off. And these guys intrigue me, Ed. Like whenever I read about a guy who's like, well, they wouldn't let me play baseball. So I just worked on this one thing. I never had time for it. My coaches were like, you need to do this. But I just wasn't paying any attention because I was dealing with the day-to-day of baseball. And then I worked on something and it changed me as a player. I mean, Devin DeYoung was on this show a couple times. And at the beginning of the year, we talked to him and he's in player development for the White Sox. And I'd love to have Devin on again here in the offseason. Maybe we'll get him back on. But I remember him talking about how there were guys, when they got a look at them after that year off, that they could never convince to do certain things. That they were having a hard time getting that guy to either work on this one tweak in their stance or, you know, they needed to bulk up and put on some weight or they needed to eat healthier. And it was hard to get them to do it. But when they had nothing else but that to work on, because there was no season for them in the minors, some of these guys returned and had taken massive steps. And we noticed it all across the minor leagues, and it's something we've talked about on the show before. So when I'm reading this, that's coming back into my mind again, and I'm saying, whoa, hold on a second. This guy here, who I found on this list, you know, just looking for fantasy baseball stuff, has seen this massive jump in power. I mean, his, his strikeout rate went up since then, but he's got this massive increase in power. He plays second base. He finished off his season in AAA. There was no loss of power or hitting or anything. In fact, he actually got better when he moved up to AAA in the, towards the end of last year's season. And he could be ready as early as this year. And definitely, if you do like one year with somebody else, he would be, he could be your second baseman long-term going forward if you could work out a deal. And then I went to the Yankees prospect list. And if you go on MLB Pipeline, I'll count the middle infielders that are rated higher than this guy right now. I got one, oh, two, yeah. Three, four guys in the Yankees thing. He's 16th on their list in their, in their system. They have plenty of middle infielders. You know what they're, you know what they're missing? Probably a Gavin Sheets type. You know, maybe a Jake Bergerish. They traded for Anthony Rizzo midseason last year because they don't have a great outlook at first base to the point where they're using DJ LeMayhew there and they're moving Glaber Torres off of short and they're, they're you know, they're, they're using... They're just using guys out of position. So would they be interested in a left-handed first baseman with power? Yeah, they would for their 16th rated prospect. Sure. Why not? Now, you could argue, you know, some people would say it's too much to give up. We're giving up left-handed power for this guy. But Cabrera hit 30 home runs last year between two stops. And that's not, it's not nothing, you know, as far as adding, if you're adding, let's say it's it's not going to be 30 home runs in the majors, but let's say you're adding 25 out of the second base position. That's that's a respectable total, and it could get bigger because the guy's still young. 
that could be a down the line future thing or something that you even if you if you felt strongly enough about it, you could start him at second base this year, much like you started a rookie in Madrigal. Okay, but I mean, if you're if he's not exactly ready, and pro scouting believes that he could be ready for sure, you know, for 2023, you could make a move and put a guy like this into your organization and say, okay, now we've got that guy. He might even come up midway through the year as long as we're happy with what he's doing in AAA. And now we make this other move over here. We move Kimbrell and we pick up like Segura, let's say, or some other second baseman. You see him do that. These are the kind of moves that are going to have to be made if you're not going out there and spending a bunch of money in free agency. This is what I think Rick Hahn has available to him. Because let's compare Cabrera to the Rays. We've got Vidal Brujan, right? He is not going to be playing shortstop for them. Wander Franco will be playing shortstop there for the foreseeable till the end of time. And... Brandon Lowe is there right now. So you could sit there and say, well, they've got this guy, right? And he's ready to go. And he's a, he's a top end prospect and numbers are not as, uh, not as gaudy from a power standpoint as Cabrera for one thing, but he's a better all around player perhaps. But what on earth are you sending the Rays for one of their prospects? Because the Rays aren't as easy of a trade partner. And then neither of these teams, the Rays or the Yankees really want Craig Kimbrell in all likelihood so when Rick Hahn sees something like this and says, yeah, you know what? The Yankees have this guy that I really like. And, you know, I, I said sheets, but to their point, you know, to your point about Jake Berger, he's another guy that fits because for them, they're planning on using Gio Urshela, who was their third baseman, as a shortstop, potentially using DJ LeMahieu as a first baseman or a third baseman while Glaber Torres moves to second base, while they try and hope that Luke Voigt or Miguel Andujar actually stays healthy. So if you were to, were to tell the Yankees, here's Jake Berger, he's a good third baseman, we think he can hit for you, you give us a second baseman that's a good second baseman that we think can hit for us, that's a win-win for both teams and fills a need for both teams. And that's what Rick Hahn's got to be doing, right? You know, and that's the thing. I, I kind of hope this is what's going on in the White Sox front office right now. You know, I hope it's not just like, you know, holiday shopping on Amazon. Unless they're buying us something. I'm, a, I'm an extra large. Right? <laughs> Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.